1: So the Green New Deal is getting the House vote that it doesn't want, actually. I'm Adrian Slate. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, the left and the media is going crazy because Cocaine Mitch decided to hold their feet to the fire. And he's saying, hey, we're going to go ahead and take a vote on your wackadoo crazy Green New Deal. The Green New Deal that is not pie in the sky. We should be governing like we're going to go to the moon. We should spend exorbitant amounts of money on all types of leftist crazy crap because we should be bold and we should go for, you know, go into the great unknown. Except for the wall, of course. That we can't really do anything about. We shouldn't fund it and, you know, it's not realistic and people coming across the border, yeah, we shouldn't uh, allow them to come across the border and be vetted. Um, We shouldn't allow them to be stopped at the border by a giant wall. We should just let them come on in, make them citizens. Why not? But here's the thing you have to understand about what cocaine Mitch is doing. This isn't a political thing. Let's not do what we did to Lindsey Graham. With Lindsey Graham, we sat there. Well, not we, because I understood he was a rhino from day one. But the left pushed Lindsey Graham to a point with Kavanaugh that he was vocal. Kavanaugh being a Bush rhino buddy. Kavanaugh just, you know, was getting lambasted and Lindsey Graham just had enough. And so he stepped up and he was vocal about his disdain for how they were treating his little rhino buddy. But everybody on the right, oh, look at Lindsey Graham. They made, you know, gifs of him walking down the street with some badass music going on, you know, and it's look at Lindsey Graham. He's going to put the smack down. Well, guess what? He's still a rhino, he's been a rhino. He was a rhino when he was uh, all up in uh, John McCain's taint, and he's still a rhino even today. Same thing with Mitch. Cocaine Mitch isn't doing this because he's trying to destroy the left and their Green New Deal. He's not trying to get a political uh, statement out of these people. This is simply, oh, this little girl's going to come into my house? You're going to come into Congress? And you're going to be given all the media attention anybody could want within your first 10, 15, 20 days of of taking office? And you're going to walk in here and throw around a deal that's got typos and talks about getting rid of airplanes and combustible engines and refitting every single building in the entire United States with green crap? Oh, you're not going to walk into my house and do this. You're going to learn from the master, from the Senate Majority Leader, that if you're going to walk into Congress, even though you're in the House of Representatives, we all convene in Congress. We're going to show you that you don't get to walk in here and act like you own the place. That's all this is. And before we get all happy and jump up and down and go, oh, look what Mitch McConnell's doing for the, for the sake of the republic. He's not doing it for that. No, he's doing it as a giant beatdown. And it's a seniority beatdown. This is basically, um, you're stepping on everybody's toes, you're too big for your own britches, it's time to give you the SmackDown. And this insane Green New Deal, granted it works out for us, because we finally get to have everybody on the record, we also get to have this insanity put through to where if it does lose, which it should, even though there's like, what, 76 Democrats in the House of Representatives? That's amazing. But even though that may finally get put to bed, that's just a little bit of, you know, it's it's a little bit of a loss for the Green Movement, but the Green Movement isn't going to stop. I mean, did the Green Movement stop when, back in 2005, 2006, when there was green peacock logos on NBC and every commercial had to do with some sort of green initiative. And then Michael Mann and all of those uh, emails. Michael Mann was actually shown to be a giant climate change fraud. And all those emails came out that showed that they fudged all uh, all the information and all the data and, oh, yeah, the green energy crisis or the green climate crisis is all bunk. You know, now we get information that solar... Magnetic forces from the from the sun have changed and that could possibly lead to different global temperatures and temperatures planetary like Mars losing its polar ice caps. No one's blaming the Mars rover on emissions, but that's one of the things we have to look at is everything that's going on with this incident with the Green New Deal and cocaine Mitch and bringing it to the floor and having it hashed out has nothing to do with the Republican Party. It has nothing to do with destroying the green movement. It has everything to do with, yo, chick, get in your place. You don't come into my house and tell us how we're going to run things. Keep that in mind. That's all this is. Joining me now is Michael, the head librarian from conservativelibrary.com. What's going on, Mike? How are you doing today?
2: Adrian, always a pleasure. How are you, buddy? I'm
1: doing well. We were just talking about Mitch McConnell, Cocaine Mitch, and his uh, Green New Deal thing, um, how he's basically going to be laying the smackdown on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez because of the fact that she is the new kid with all of the media spotlight and the Twitter and all the fun social media, and she's the cool chick. There used to be Sandy from the block pouring pints down at the pub and now she's gonna change the world with democratic socialism and that green new deal is gonna get put on the floor what do you think about this whole thing
2: well first of all i need to say that aoc is so freaking amazing she's the only person i know that can do a high five with just herself.
1: Yeah, she is the cat's meow, the 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 bee's knees from what they say. Yeah, I saw that. She, she kind of she did that whole jump for the high five and got nothing but net. She got nothing but air.
2: Yes, but when you're as good as her, you know what? No one else can compare to, to return that high five. Oh, yeah, so she I'll tell you,
1: she was high-fiving democracy. Is what she was she was yes, high-fiving the, the, socialism. Yeah, the, high-fiving socialism. High-fiving the worker who is not present in the congressional chamber.
2: That's right. Representing representing the absent worker. Yeah. Uh I will tell you that cocaine Mitch had two years to bring something up regarding the wall and he wouldn't do it. And within two weeks, he's bringing up this new green deal just to, show how high and mighty he is to the freshman.
1: I I agree. I mean, how do you go with two years of a complete majority, and then you're going to turn around and do absolutely nothing?
2: The problem is times like this make me reflect back to why I totally supported Cruz in the primary, because Cruz has principles. And we know Trump doesn't, and during the primaries, people like you and I were demagogued and just called hateful and stupid and uh, um, pro-establishment banking supporters simply because we supported a guy who did say, I stand for X, Y, and Z, and we knew where he stood, and he meant what he said. Trump, does, does Trump have uh, a way of smacking someone down verbally? Yes, absolutely he does, in a way that Cruz never did or never would. But at the same time, Trump also has no principles upon which he stands, which is exactly why now he's talking about signing a bill that he said he would never sign. So let's get this straight. We've got the omnibus. Yeah. He said he'd never sign a terrible omnibus. Yet now he's saying he's gonna sign this terrible omnibus. He said the original amount of money wasn't good enough. And yet now he's gonna accept even less money. Yeah. And so so he's he's reverting back to even less. And not only that, he's allowing the Democrats to bring a thousand plus page bill full of pork and crap that he's going to pass into law. He, he he is completely giving everything up and I'm completely, you know, I'm dis- completely disenchanted with any hope I have for him.
1: Well, and that's the problem I have. I mean, you remember back when Ivanka Trump was talking about paid family medical leave and then he was actually touting it. I think he touted it at the last State of the Union. Um, Christian Brand, um, you know, She's running on this. That's that's what she... So what is the difference between what she's running on and what Trump is bringing in certain parts of his policies?
2: I agree because what Trump has been really successful at is completely surrounding himself with liberals and the swamp.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's great that he can open up the tent. You know, I talked about this on the last show, about how basically the divide between the progressive socialist of the Democrat Party and those who pretended to like the progressive dem- Democrats of the Socialist Party and were basically exploiting them for power and votes. You know, that's the, their, um, their own rhino wing, you know, Hillary Clinton and what have you. When Hillary Clinton was pushed out of the way in favor of, of Obama back in the first term, that is when that wackadoo sector of the Democrat Party was given license to be emboldened with all their policies, and so then, when he won, and then he was reelected, even with a crap economy and complete horrible collapse of foreign policy like Benghazi, and he ends up staying, and more socialism or policies that fall in line with socialism is passed, when it 's all taken away, you know it, it basically freaked out the progressive left, and but it did another thing. it showed how insane the party had become. And those people came over to Trump, but Trump is still providing them with some of the policies that they were getting from the Democrats. And that's why they're more than happy to come over to the GOP big tent under Trump.
2: Yes, we, my prediction is that Trump is going to sign the omnibus because he basically already said he would take less money than he was offered the first time, which is a disgrace. So what was the purpose of the government shutdown? It was yeah. That's going to be thrown back in his face, in the face of, of uh, people like you and I, who said, stand for your principles, and he's not because he doesn't have principles. I supported him when he did good things. You support him when he's done good things. I've always said I'll support his good policies, but I'm not going to support his bad policies, nor am I going to defend him as a person because I, I don't. However, now he's simply dropping people like you and I in the grease, and the only people who are continuing to support what he's doing are the people who claim that he's playing seventy underwater Parcheesi, and it's not. Yeah, it, it's simply not. The emperor has no new clothes.
1: When you got Ann Coulter, when you have Ann Coulter throwing you under the bus when she was his biggest proponent, she basically was the one who was going to lift up the narrative of, oh, Ted Cruz and Goldman Sachs. Oh, yeah, Ted Cruz's wife, you know, she's up there with the globalist lobby of Goldman's when she was like a branch manager, something district manager or something like that. So, yeah, we were stuck with Trump because of people like Ann Coulter and even Limbaugh. And now they're out there freaking out going, ah, uh, uh, what are you doing over there, Trump? Why are you going with this deal? And this guy's supposedly art of the deal. Where is the art? I mean, the deal is crap. Where's the art? Where's all this great negotiation, uh, uh, you know, masterwork that we're promised that, we, that I keep being told, you should go read his book, Art of the Deal. Why? Because it's basically Sun Tzu Art of War, just on making negotiations, but none of that has translated into politics.
2: I I agree. When he's done some things like, okay, move the embassy um, in Israel, simple things like that, I applaud him, and they're great things. But when it comes up to actually negotiating like this with the Democrats, I can't recall a single time he's actually won.
1: Yeah, to I'm be with, exactly. So I
2: can't recall a single time.
1: So now we've got you know Cocaine Mitch. He's going to basically put the uh, the green movement, you know, the Green New Deal. Uh, he's going to give it a, an opportunity, and people like Cory Booker are out there saying, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's too impractical, it's too expensive. If we, if we could, if we used to govern our dreams that way, we would have never gone to the moon. We'd be living in a van down by the river. He sounds like Matt Foley meets uh, what's uh, Keegan uh, Michael Key, his character on Mad TV. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but he does Coach Hines where he's like, listen, students. He gives this like fake outrage that's completely contrived. And if the guy is going to sit there and talk about how we should be governing like we should go to the moon, then how come we can't govern like we should build a wall when we've already approved the wall under previous presidents?
2: That's exactly right. Um, he, you know, uh, Spartacus um, Booker sounds like the doctor who was running on the Democratic Party before. Remember, he was screaming so loud you couldn't understand him. He lost his voice. Oh,
1: Howard Dean? How oh! Howard <laughs> <laughs>
2: And that's, that's pretty much what the Democrat Party stands for, is let's just uh, throw out hyperbole. And it's kind of like, can you understand me? Can you understand me? You know, you just talk <laughs> louder and louder. Yeah. And it makes what you're saying even more valid. Can you
1: understand the words that are coming out of my mouth?
2: And, and I, mean- out of my mouth. I know. It's, it's bad. But I tell you right now, I'm, today is just not a good day for me and for a lot of Americans. Because... We have a president who's throwing us under the bus. We have a Congress who threw us under the bus. Uh, we have... Hey, what real do we quick, have?
1: have you ever thought you'd see the day where a Congress that basically had complete and utter control by one party would basically lose and then turn around and go, all right, guys, let's get to work. We don't have a majority anymore, but let's roll up our sleeves and do some stuff uh, too late. I mean, it's too late. You you missed that window of opportunity. Now you're going to have nothing but resistance and uh, quit acting like you're trying to do something now because it's all just utter you know smoke and mirrors.
2: Well, here's what it shows us. It shows us that the Republicans for two years were afraid to do anything because they knew they could pass it and so they had to let the Democrats get in control so then they could have an excuse again. It's simply the GOP establishment being the GOP establishment.
1: Man, this is how they've operated since uh, since after Newt Gingrich was ousted. You remember Newt Gingrich did his, uh, his contract with America, which was the last time we ever had a congressional stance that was worth the crap. That actually fell in line with, you know, that was like some of the seeds planted for the Tea Party because... You know, when he did the contract for America, everybody was like, "Okay, Clinton is full of crap. And really, the things that Newt Gingrich and that Congress were doing were, you know, balancing budgets and what have you. That was all good. And then we ended up having George W. Bush basically drag us along. And we thought maybe we'll get something. We've got, you know, uh, a Republican president. We got nothing. So when Obama came in and shoved Obamacare down our throat, it just ignited the Tea Party but the stage was set based off of the contract with America. Now we have the, what is Probably we should call it the contract with the subcommittees. This is where I'm going to take a stance because I'm going to basically lose our party's power and uh, we're going to give up all these seats. And in doing so, I'm going to be able to keep my committee chairmanships. Isn't that cool?
2: That's exactly. You're right. It's that, you know what? I don't want to do what the American public elected me to do because it's not really what I want to do. So I'm going to just, I'm going to keep kicking the can for two years and then I'm going to say, Oh my God, now that I'm not in power, I really, really got to try to get this done. Oh, I can't because the Democrats are in power.
1: Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, we tried. We 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 just can't do anything. It's, you know, our hands are tied. I don't know what to do. I mean, we tried. We tried. And I tell
2: you, this is exactly why I am such a vocal proponent of convention of states
1: that you know it's funny when we get into talking about that that's one of the things that i agree with because a lot of people this is the first reaction that they have oh the gop they're not doing anything but look at the democrat party they're a bunch of freaking communists we need a new party a new party's not going to do anything you're going to have the green party you're going to have you know we've got the federalist party still coming up in the works. But they're not really going to be able to make a big paradigm shift. All they're going to be able to do is provide pressure up against those who are already elected. So at this point, I would say if you're looking at some sort of outer political angle, you've got one or two choices. You've got to build a coalition that can force the shifting of ideas which would be like a Federalist Party coming in as a coalition, you know, like uh, like say the um, Freedom Caucus, or you do what the Constitution allows, and the state legislatures allow we the people the opportunity to open up, you know, the Constitution. To a degree, everybody thinks it's some runaway thing that everybody's worried about the Constitution being gutted by the by the right and and shifted and changed through a convention of states. Yet they don't care about the Electoral College being on the chopping block. But we have an opportunity with this provision that was put in place for us to make a change. I mean, without you know, we got about four minutes or so. If you want to get into a little bit of that, feel free because you know more about it even than I do.
2: So a few things. One, um, this runaway convention is the biggest scare tactic used by the left. I agree. And even people on the right who are establishment use it because they like the status quo. No matter who gets into office, let's say that there's this magical rainbow unicorn third party that gets into office. The problem is because the laws and the way our government operates have been so distorted – we need a convention of states to, to do a reset to put things back into place. And what people don't understand is that if someone – and I'm, I'm talking to anyone listening to this. If someone tells you that a convention of states can result in some kind of runaway convention where we'll take away the First Amendment or the Second Amendment or gut the Constitution or whatever, they are either outright purposefully lying to you or they have been lied to. And haven't checked the facts. The facts are that anything that comes out of a convention—think of it this: a convention of states is a convention of suggestions. That's all it is. The convention delegates bring those bring those ideas, those suggestions back to the states where they're voted on. Yeah, just like. Any other proposed amendments.
1: And my understanding is it takes three-fourths of the state legislatures of the United States to even start that, but then it would take, I mean, it would take one-third, but then it would take three-fourths to actually ratify all of that. Two-thirds. Okay, two-thirds. And then three-fourths. That's right, three-fourths. So then you're still having to bring in state legislatures that may not be 100% on board.
2: That's exactly right. Um, let's say, for example, that Massachusetts and California proposed taking away the second amendment, right? Let's just get credit crazy. Are you going to tell me there's not enough States that would say we won't support that?
1: Exactly. That's my point. It gets vetted over that process. It's the same concept as the electoral college where if you got rid of it, you have nothing but a direct democracy, and then you're going to do like Virginia, and you're going to elect a black-faced governor who wants infanticide, like Governor Northam.
2: That's right. And that's what we're headed to on a nationwide scale. Yeah. So I would encourage people to look at Convention of States, look at the actual facts. We will be posting some information, uh, some very quick uh, videos on – on on parts of the Convention of States to help people understand the truth. But there's no such thing as a potential for a runaway convention. It's a complete lie. They're not creating a constitution. It's a convention of suggestions that get brought back to the states who then have to vote on them.
1: Nice. All right, Mike, we got about less than a minute. Um, Where can we find you online? Just tell the listeners.
2: So you can find me at, at Hugh underscore Manatee on Twitter and conservativelibrary.com.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I urge everybody to go check out conservativelibrary.com. Lots of great resources on there. There's some great things that we're working on. And we're talking about actually rebranding and opening a whole new project, too. So, a lot of exciting, exciting. things in the works.
2: Take care, Adrian.
1: All right. Take care, Mike. That's humanity. At, or at Hugh underscore Manatee on Twitter. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back in just a second. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Rants Out Loud and also at Adrian Slade Show. Back in just a second.
2: This is Adrian Slade.
1: Adrian Slade Broadcast. So let's talk about some of the media darlings of the Democratic Socialist left. You know, the the nice socialists. They're not talking about complete socialism. They're just talking about Democratic Socialism. Everybody elects to have the government run everything. Well, the actual House of Representatives, um, some of those elected officials are receiving tons of free airtime. And... A lot of people have wondered why the right is constantly attacking them. Even some people on the right are going, well, why should we take Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib seriously? Why should we give them platform and why should we give them airtime? And, of course, a lot of people on the left are going, well, why is the, the right? You know, they're catcalling her. the The, the left is calling out... Right commentators and and, uh, publications and what have you. Well, it's because not only are they instructive of what the left is willing to do as far as ideology goes, but we're also making examples out of their dangerous and toxic positions. And it's because they are actually getting more airtime by their own leftist media than their own presidential candidates who are throwing their hats in the ring. I can tell you right now... This past couple weeks, Ilhan Omar has received more airtime than the outdoor heater that was at Klobuchar's Snow globe Climate Change uh, presidential announcement there in the blizzard. And she is celebrating the anniversary of her marriage to her biological brother. Apparently, she didn't marry her goat, so they're not really celebrating. But biological brother, yeah, she's celebrating. And um, she's had issues come out that she looks very anti-semitic um in fact with a lot of the tweets that she put out recently basically saying that the israel the zionist uh, lobby is paying for the right wing of america and all this other crap basically in a nutshell without actually saying it in those words she's been given a talking to in the past this is about ilhan omar the somali refugee who is in kenya Imagine that. She was a refugee in Kenya. Gosh, who else was from Kenya? Hmm, I can't remember. There was somebody else that was in politics uh, from Kenya. He got a funny name that rhymed with the uh, Chirac or something like that. But she had a talking to in the past. Last year before she was... This is from Twin Cities, uh, the Twin Cities uh, magazine or newspaper, whatever it's called. Last year before she was elected to the House of Representatives... Uh, leaders of Minneapolis's Jewish community fashioned what could be described as an anti-Semitic intervention with Omar, whose remarks had made fellow Democrats in the Jewish community uncomfortable. Twin Cities Pioneer Press. That's the name of the uh, the paper. This is relevant because Omar, a freshman member of Congress, has come under fire after suggesting on Twitter that supporters of Israel in Congress are bought and paid for by a bipartisan pro-Israel lobbying group. When responding to uh, Kevin McCarthy's tweet, she put out all about the Benjamins and followed it up with simply AIPAC. To many, this remark went beyond the critique of money's influence in politics and evoked an anti-Semitic myth that Jews seek to control the world via money. The response by some, including Chelsea Clinton, to fellow... She responded to fellow Minnesotan uh, U.S. Representative Dean Phillips, a Jew and representing a neighboring district, was to engage her in a type of educational discussion, kind of like what they did to Ralph Northam. You know, he was busted in blackface, going, Mammy, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Mammy, are you okay? You know, because he's doing the Michael Jackson thing. And apparently now he was going to sit down and watch Roots, to which he's going to say, Your name is Toby. It's not Kunta Kente. Your name is Toby, Toby Northam. You know, he was going to get educated, and because he's a doctor, he would be able to heal our commonwealth, which is nice of him to do so since he was elected um, doctor of governance in, uh, in Virginia. But apparently they were going to do the same thing with Ilion Omar. They were going to have an educational discussion. We just have to re-educate her. You know, following what was described as an impassioned face-to-face conversation with Omar, Phillips concluded, We agreed to move forward with a shared goal of working collaboratively to combat hatred and intolerance towards all persecuted communities and commit to a respectful debate of the issues important to each other and to each of us. Last year, State uh, Senator Ron Latz, a St. Louis Park Democrat, who has served in the uh, legislature since 2002, invited Omar to his house where a number of Jewish leaders had gathered. It wasn't an ambush. Omar knew that the group was there and their purpose was to enlighten her. Um, Omar, who spent four years from age 8 to 12 in a Kenyan camp for Somali refugees, just didn't understand, Latz recalled. And he wondered at that time, why? He said, you know, we reached out to her. We were a bit troubled by several things that she had said. Among their concerns was a 2012 tweet in which Omar wrote, Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them to see the evil doings of Israel. She also tweeted, Allah Akbar, hashtag life is good back in 2012. The language evokes an anti-Semitic trope of Jews as practices of some type of sorcery that allows them to control others. It wasn't until last month that Omar apologized. In local political discourse during the Democratic Party's endorsement process, Omar's phrasing as she spoke of Middle East policy troubled some. But Mr. Latz, who defended Omar's predecessor, Keith Ellison, another guy who sat down with the Ayatollah and Louis Farrakhan. Yeah. um, The accusations of anti-Semitism emphasized that the problem wasn't in the policy dispute, but it was in the diction and her tone. I don't mind policy disagreement. That's fine, Latz said, who said he has qualms with some Israeli policies. I accept that she comes from a different place and has a different policy, but those can be expressed in a matter that does not express anti-Semitism with it. She grew up in a refugee camp. Her perspective is different, but I would also respect a very serious attempt to understand the history of the Jewish people in the way that they have been demonized and murdered for their faith. Let's listen to that different perspective and that different perspective of the uh, elected representative to the House of uh, Representatives, Ilhan Omar, her take on America. I came to this country hearing about
3: um, prosperity and uh, a better tomorrow for everyone. And that's what this country promised. Um, I believed that America would be a place that had um, the tools necessary for people to reach prosperity um lead a happy life and a healthy life and shortly after i came here i realized that that wasn't the case
1: wow she has love like none other for our great nation which we live the one she was elected to represent yeah Lat said that we were the gathering was focused not on a mere social gathering we didn't eat much he recalled obviously bacon not anything halal all of that was probably not on the menu He declined to attempt to recall exact statements by him um, saying that that wouldn't be fair. But here's the summary. Over the course of about two hours, we shared our concern with things, including language that has references and meanings beyond just meaningful words. Tropes, dog whistles, call them what you will. We explained to her how hurtful and factually incorrect they were. Most of us came out of that conversation very troubled by the answers we received. I was not convinced she was going to give a balanced approach to policy in the Middle East. And I was not convinced where her heart was on these things. But we were glad she met us and hopeful that she would care more about these things after she got elected. Obviously, nope, she hasn't. In fact, her apology, she tweeted, Listening, learning, but standing strong, followed by, Anti Semitism is real, and I'm grateful for Jewish allies and colleagues who are educating me on the painful history of. Anti-Semitic tropes, my intention is never to offend my constituents or Jewish Americans as a whole. We have to always be willing to step back and think through criticism, just as I expect people to hear me when others attack me for my identity. This is why I unequivocally apologize. At the same time, I reaffirm the problematic role of lobbyists in our politics, whether it be the AIPAC and the NRA or the fossil fuel industry. It's gone on long too far, and we must be willing to address it. Now, the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, the AIPAC, is a bipartisan lobbying group that does not directly donate to candidates' campaigns but encourages its members to do so. Just as the NRA is not a lobbyist group for guns, they are a group to protect the citizens who are members of that group. Amy Klobuchar, who we talked about, who had her nice little... uh, Announcement in the snow on climate change in the blizzard. She is Minnesota's senior senator and a 2020 presidential candidate. She issued a two statement, uh, two Senate statement saying anti-Semitic language should not have any place in Congress or our country. Apologizing was the right thing to do. Although she walked back her apology um quite quite a bit. And that's the thing with her. Her anti-Semitism is all over the place. Um it was good to see that Chelsea Clinton called her out. But according to CARE, the Council on Islamic, American Islamic Relations, Ilhan Omar's tweets alleging the purchase of American foreign policy by the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, despite Democrats' leaders' descriptions of Omar's uh, comments being anti-Semitic, were actually held high by CARE. <laughs> Believe it or not. According to Kerr's descriptions of Omar's tweets um, as anti-Semitic to uh, disingenuous attempts to silence criticism of Israel, Kerr stated, uh, Anti-Semitism is real. It should not be used disingenuously as a tool to silence legitimate criticism of a foreign nation's discriminatory policies. Kerr applauds Representative Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, who wrote, Articles for Louis Farrakhan's magazine, just keep that in your crawl, for their courage in speaking truth about Israel's racial, religious, and ethnic segregation. Agenda driven groups like AIPAC have for decades em- enabled the segregation and resulting denial of human rights for Christian and Muslim Palestinians. And then David Duke, yes, <laughs> KKK loving David Duke, jumped in on all this and tweeted, Every Zio and every Goy knows that Zionist money rules American politics. Nine out of ten top demo funders, biggest corporations, Goldman Sachs, Republican giant money bags. It's a disgrace that not one white Christian man in Congress has the balls to stand up to them. So David Duke on the side of Ilhan Omar. Amazing. And... You know, she actually had an issue with Trump's envoy to Venezuela recently who worked with the Reagan administration. She was extremely combative with him. Um, She got into a fiery exchange with Elliot Abrams, who is the envoy to Venezuela. In fact, she called him Mr. Adams. I don't understand why. And she began with wondering why anything he said should be considered credible after his role in the Iran-Contra scandal. You know, let's listen to a little bit. It's kind of a long... um, Long clip, but just listen to this exchange between the two. In
3: 1991, you pleaded guilty to two counts of withholding information from Congress regarding your involvement in the Iran-Kortra affair, for which you were later pardoned by President George H.W. Bush. I fail to understand uh, why members of this committee or the American people should find any testimony that you give uh, today to be truthful.
0: If I can respond to that.
3: Uh, um, it wasn't a question. Uh, I w- on it was an Febu- that was it not was that an was, attack, was not a question. That was the, I. I reserve person. the right I'm to sorry. my time.
0: It is not. It is not right. That, that was not that a this question. can
3: attack on February a 8th. Who
0: is not permitted to reply?
3: That that was not a question. Thank you for your participation. On February 8, 1982, you testified before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee about U.S. policy in El Salvador. In that hearing, you dismissed as communist propaganda report about the massacre of El Mozote, in which more than 800 civilians, including children as young as two years old, were brutally murdered by U.S.-trained troops. During that massacre, some of those troops bragged about raping a 12-year-old girl before they killed them, girls before they killed them. You later said that the U.S. policy in El Salvador was a fabulous achievement. Yes or no, do you still think so?
0: From the day that President Duarte was elected in a free election to this day, El Salvador has been a democracy. That's a fabulous achievement.
3: Yes or no? Do you think that massacre was a fabulous achievement that happened under our watch?
0: That is a ridiculous question. And yes or no?
3: No. I'm I'm sorry, will take, Mr. I will Chair, take but that. I am, as a yes,
0: I am not going to respond to that kind of personal attack, which is not a question.
3: Yes or no? Would you support an armed faction within Venezuela that engages in war crimes, crimes against humanity, or genocide, if you believe they were serving U.S. interest, as you did in Guatemala, El Salvador, and Nicaragua? I am not
0: going to respond to that question. I'm sorry. I don't think this entire line of questioning is meant to be real questions, and so I will not reply.
3: Whether you, under your watch, a genocide will take place, and you will look the other way because American interests were being upheld, is a fair question. Because the American people want to know that any time we engage a country, that we think about what our actions could be, and how we believe our values are being farthered. That is my question. Will you make sure that human rights are not violated and that we uphold international and human rights?
0: I suppose there is a question in there, and the answer is that the entire thrust of American policy in Venezuela is to support the Venezuelan people's effort to restore democracy to their country. That's our policy.
3: I don't think anybody disputes that. The question I had for you is that the interest, does the interest of the United States include protecting human rights and include protecting people against genocide?
0: That is always the position of the United States.
1: Thank you. I yield back my
3: time.
0: Now,
1: she was openly questioned Mr. Adams, uh, Mr. Abrams, after the Trump administration was supporting uh, Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Giardo um, over the elected the duly elected President Nicolas Maduro, um, because she's basically saying, how can we believe you if you were a, a part of the Iran-Contra scandal? And pardoned by President George H.W. Bush in 92. Well, let's remember that this scandal, the Iran Contra affair, facilitated the sales of, of arms to Iran to a moderate Iranian faction within the Iranian um, government. The administration hoped to use the proceeds of the arms sales to fund the Contras in Nicaragua. Funding the Contras by the government had been prohibited by Congress, but The sale of these arms shipments were a part of an operation to free seven American hostages held in Lebanon by Hezbollah, who is a military wing of Iran. The plan was for Israel to ship the weapons to Iran, to the moderate, the moderate faction within the Iranian government that wanted to take out the Ayatollah and for the United States to resupply Israel. Israel would pay the United States. Iranian recipients promised to do everything in their power to release the hostages and Reagan had actually said he wanted to back this modern Iranian faction headed by Rafanji up against the Ayatollah's hardline anti-American group because he claimed, Reagan claimed, that he allowed this because he believed in establishing relations with a strategically located country and preventing the Soviet Union from doing the same. Now, a portion of the proceeds from the Iranian weapon sales to the moderates to take out the Iranian regime, the hardline regime, the money was funded towards the Contras, a group of anti-Sandinista, Sandinistan rebel fighters in their struggle against the socialist government of Nicaragua. Now, remember who backed the Sandinistas? That would be Bernie Sanders. Yes, the same guy who took his wife to honeymoon in Moscow, in Soviet Russia, and also was uh, shown singing this land is your land um, without his shirt on with that little bird, that bird coming out of the cage, the bird chest of Bernie Sanders, not the eagle of freedom, but more the, um, you know, the sickle, the bird sickle of communism. Yeah, he supported the Sandinistas at that time. So we've got that going on. We've got the fact that Ilion Omar was arrested in 2013 for not leaving a hotel that was being attended by Somali president. The Somali president at the time was there. She and a group of Somali uh, immigrants had gone to this hotel. She defiantly, basically, uh, thumbed her nose at the police and was arrested back in 2013. And then, come to find out later, PJ Media would report that her brother-in-law got a nice, cushy job with the Somali government. And the fact that she is... um, She has been supported financially by some interesting people um, like David Brock, CARE, Media Matters, George Soros, Nancy Pelosi, Bill Maher, Keith Ellison. Of course, Nancy Pelosi would put her on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Great, great idea for somebody who hates Israel and is a militant Islamic uh, or Islamist. She is actually going to be a part of a big event, a fundraising event called Islamic Relief USA. Well, that's the group that's hosting it. A fundraiser for the dinner to aid Yemen. Coming up on February 23rd, she is due to speak alongside Islamic Relief USA official Youssef Abdallah, who was widely criticized in 2017 after the Middle East Forum found that he had expressed violently anti-Semitic ideas on his social media as well. So, and what's interesting is, Islamic Relief USA is considered <laughs> a terrorist group with United Arab Emirates, and Islamic Relief worldwide is the over uh, the umbrella group headquartered in the United Kingdom. The franchise is extremely, increasingly uh, scrutinized for questions from governments across the globe about its connections to extremism and terror. So that's what we're dealing with with this Ilhan Omar. Now, let's talk about Ilian Omar's peer. Not that we haven't talked about her enough. Not that everybody has. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. You know, one of the things we have to look at with her is the fact that she actually is doubling down and praising Ilian Omar and her stance, even though it's obvious that she's very anti-Semitic. But she, Cortez, has some issues of her own. On top of the fact that she, well, this is from Luke Thompson. While you were having a nice Valentine's Day, AOC decided to put her boyfriend on the staff, drawing a salary on the taxpayer's dime. Nice to see her adapting to the swamp so quickly. So, yeah, she has gone ahead and hired her boyfriend, Riley Roberts. He's got a nice little Riley.roberts at mail.house.gov account. And he's shown up in a Marie Claire puff piece in Vogue. Um, you know, basically, they spoke, Brian Shear spoke with AOC's office and said that uh, he was assured that her boyfriend was not doing any work for the congressional office, um, is not being hired by her office. But somehow he got the mail.house.gov email, which is from, you know, something that is standardly given out to a spouse. How does that happen? Well, it says that somebody can work voluntarily for someone's office if they are an actual spouse, but not a boyfriend, not a friends with, you know, I'm going to get my friends with benefits over here, get them security clearance. You know, they can't see me in the hospital, but no worries. They can have access to my campaign email, and then maybe they can get a salary in the process. Let's not mention the fact that if you're going to hire somebody, they have to be approved by the hiring authority. So she's going on with that. And apparently she has now effectively run out Amazon, which we talked about on our Amazon episode, Amazon HQ2, the dual headquarters. She's run out the the New York constituent, the New York branch of Amazon. So effectively she has canceled Amazon while... Making money from Netflix because Netflix uh, just purchased what a ten million dollar documentary on the rise of Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. So yeah, um, she cancels Netflix or cancels Amazon, getting rid of the Prime, bringing in the Netflix, and uh, she's got some other things that are interesting about her. The draft of the Green New Deal that she is pushing was actually written over a single December weekend. And it was actually written by her campaign chief of staff, Syak Chakrabarty. I guess that's how you say his name, Syak Chakrabarty. He's an Indian guy. Um, he is somebody who has worked with the Sunrise Movement, Justice Democrats, which is an organization, the New Consensus, another progressive organization, and Brand New Congress, who pushed for far-left candidates to run for office. These are all people that worked with Bernie Sanders, obviously, And George Soros has been aligned with them. In fact, George Soros has been a part of the medium consortium that the Young Turks and all these other organizations who work with uh, people like Sayak Chakrabarty, um, who they're aligned with. The interesting thing about this guy is that he was a software development intern for Real News Network. Um, He's got a Harvard degree in computer science. He worked with Apple. He worked with Bridgewater Technology. He co-founded Mockingbird, which was a web design service that caters to Democrats who want web design, cool, slick web campaign ads on their site. He also was a founding engineer for Stripe. Stripe is the payment processing company that allows people to facilitate online payments. And Stripe has shut down many a conservative And what he is a part of is this brand new Congress, which basically Bernie Sanders, when he lost, he helped build this. He hired um, this individual to help make all of this come to fruition as far as winning primaries, getting these alt-left candidates into power. Um, And the funny thing is, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, her background is interesting because she actually was a William F. Buckley uh, proponent, which is odd given the fact that uh, she is as socialist as she is. But this guy, Chakrabarti, going around wearing a t shirt of uh, Subhas Bosse, I guess that's how you say his last name. He's a Nazi sympathizer. He was an ally of Adolf Hitler. Um, personally met him in 1942. He founded the Free India Legion because, you know, Shakrabarti's from India or has India background. Um, He teamed up, uh, Basay or Bose was uh, teamed up with the Japanese in 1943. He's wearing this shirt, kind of like a Che Guevara shirt. And all of these people, these socialists, are coalescing around these people who may be puppets. Ilyan Omar may have a giant contingency behind her of radical Islamists. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez... She may have a giant contingency around her of communist Marxist and they're tech savvy and they organize and they will do just like we've talked about in the past. The new way of doing activism is through 501C4 organizations, nonprofit, non-governmental organizations that cannot be tracked on their donations because they are private foundations. They're not non-for-profit 501c3 organizations which have to make their money public and they can do all of this under the cover of darkness and push things like this wackadoo green new deal that calls for eliminating airplanes and giving people pay who are unable to work so i think we need to follow these people closely because these are the people we should be concerned about the most I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out next week, Mojo50.com on iHeartRadio, Mojo50. We'll see you next time.